My name is Chris Murray. I'm the creative director of Popcorn Taxi, and it's a pleasure to be asked to come here and host at the Apple Store a Q&A with two people who have just produced an extraordinary film, one as the director and one as the star. Now, as you may or may not know, this film had the world premiere in Toronto and has now sold to numerous territories. And from an Australian film's perspective, that is wonderful. And tonight is the Australian premiere at Dendi Opera Keys. But before that happens, we get to meet them both. Uh, well, I, I'd like to introduce you first to a director that you will meet, well, you'll meet now, but you will hear his name for a long, long time. This man's going to be doing some wonderful things. Mr. Daniel Natime. And an actor who needs very little introduction other than to say he's been nominated for two Oscars and the only person to be nominated for an Oscar is a vampire. That's a good thing. Mr. Willem Dafoe. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Now, I'm sure you've been told earlier, when we will have a little chat and talk about stuff. And, of course, I've got to be careful. You haven't seen the film, so we'll try our best not to give anything away that you really don't want to know about. And then we'll throw it out to the audience. And I would ask you to put up your hand, and then when you answer the questions, everyone will be able to hear you. And should everything go wrong, oxygen masks will fall from the ceiling. Um, now, first, um, the premise of this film is extraordinary. A mercenary with a secret agenda to go to Australia to search for the last remaining Tasmanian tiger. Now, on paper, it's like, yeah, wow. And then you decide that this is a film you've wanted to make for quite some time, Daniel. Why? Um, this film is based on a novel, uh, an extraordinary novel called The Hunter that I read uh, about 10 years ago when it came out. Um, and I just thought it was a, it was a beautiful story with uh, an amazing central character. Uh, set in the epic backdrop of Tasmania. So it was a very um, tempting combination of elements. And how did, you, um, how did you get this man on board? At what part of the project did you guys talk? Uh, it was probably eight years into the development of the project. We, we finally felt we had a script that um, we were ready to take out and um, show to people. Um, Willem was our first port of call to play the lead role. Um, uh, and very happily, he liked the script and responded to it, and we met. And what turned you on more than anything else? Because um, this is not the usual sort of script I imagine you handed, um, besides, of course, going to Tasmania, but I'm imagining that you're, you're an actor which is... Uh, you, you like to learn the tools of the trade of the character, and this particular character has an enormous amount of skill and not much dialogue, so it was... Just wondering if that's one of the attractions. Um, yes. <laughs> no, uh, the reason uh, for wanting to do it is uh, there were many reasons. And I liked how Daniel approached me. I liked how he talked about the project. It was clearly a passion project for him. But talking about the things that I had to learn to do, that was just... Uh, you know, that was an opportunity. That was an opportunity to, it was a key to the character because uh, what I do in this story, without giving too much away, I'm uh, a hunter. <laughs> and uh, so I really had to learn bushcraft, uh, things about being in the bush, how to make snares, 
how to butcher wallabies, all kinds of things. And it's not like a method actor thing, it's a practical thing. We see me do those things in the film, so I wanted to learn how to do them with a certain amount of grace and a certain amount of authority. And it was, it was important. Uh, that was really the start of uh, entering into the character. What I like about this film, um, in a way more than anything else, is the fact that the environment is a character. We're in Tasmania, and I've never been to Tasmania. I'm not sure how many people here have. It's an extraordinary um, range of climate, range of feelings, range of emotions, and you do feel like you're in another world. But you made that a character. I'd like to know how you approach that as a, from a filmmaking process to let that breathe and come out as another character in the film. Um, yeah, look, I mean, it started off with uh, just sections in the script that says, you know, Martin, the hunter, goes into the wilderness and sets some traps. Um, and from there, we had to kind of chart a topographic journey that matched the character's emotional journey. So I'd been out with... Uh, I've got, I have a cousin who lives in Tasmania. He's an avid bushwalker. He took us on some overnight hiking trips into some amazing places. I mean, you know, we walked for two days with packs on our back. Um, I got a sense of what the place looked like. It's spectacular. But then the challenge was actually finding places that we could drive trucks to, you know, actually get access for the film crew, which turned out to be not so much of a problem. I mean, you can drive to places in Tasmania, get out of the car, turn the other way, and you're looking at 270 degrees of pristine, untouched wilderness that, you know, nobody's ever stepped on. Um, so we, we're kind of blessed in that regard. And, you know, it's true that Willem spends a lot of time in the film uh, not playing against other actors, but alone in this environment. So he's responding, as he would to, a, to another actor, to the, to the landscape. And for you, Willem, I mean, your character is a, is a methodical beast. It's a man who knows exactly what he wants, how to get it. And uh, again, there, there, is a, there is a character arc where you have to allow yourself to be affected by the environment, as well as the other characters played by Francis O'Connor and the children. Um, from an acting perspective, how do you approach that I am this man and then I become that man, but without dialogue? It's really a, a physical metamorphosis that you, that you take on. There's enough dialogue to accomplish that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, you play the scenes. You uh, try to find the, uh, you know, the quality of um, being there, of uh, really of pretending. This man starts out the beginning of this mo movie as very methodical, but he's reached the end of the line. He's in a young man's game, and he's gonna, he realizes that there's an end to this. So he's, there's a slight uh, crack in his uh, armor from the very beginning, and it was just about inviting things in. And how did you find working with the kids? Because um, the, the girl we've seen before in the tree, but in this film, it, they really do, they affect this, this stone character so much. I mean, to the point that there is a scene involving you having to even have a bath. And I'm imagining when you read that on paper, to be like, really? That sounded good to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, how, did, how did you draw those performances? And, or is it something where you just, you just keep rolling and, and then go, oh, we got it? Or are they just that good? Uh, look, I've got to say, a lot of it is in the casting. Um, 
uh, Morgana, who plays the little girl in the film, I, I met her in our, the first week of casting, and I thought she was extraordinary, but I still went and met, like, another 300 girls. Uh, you know, I had to kind of be triply sure. Um, and I subjected them to a lot of auditions. You know, I think by the time they got the part, I'd seen them act, you know, at least half of the scenes in the film. Um, and because kids don't have training as actors, you're just looking for their natural instinct and, and how close they are to the characters you need them to play. Um, but, you know, really, these, these kids, they were very natural, they were, they were very relaxed, they were, they were bright, instinctive kids. And yes, sometimes we did have to just keep rolling until we got what we needed. Yeah, I'd find it extraordinary, particularly with, with, a, with a physical presence of an actor such as yourself. I mean, they wouldn't be aware of your background, career, blah, blah, blah. However, when Willem Dafoe rocks up playing a mercenary, you kind of get an idea of what type of personality you might have on set. But are you one of those guys that stays in character? Or are you, we're rolling now, it's all sweet? Or did you scare the hell out of him, I guess is what I'm asking. I, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, you'd have to ask them, but I, I just don't see myself as a scary person. Uh, but to answer your first question, I'm pretty much activated by the camera, so I find between takes and things, it's best to fool around and, and uh, kind of let things go. But it really depends, on, it depends from film to film, because you have different uh, requirements for different... Uh, roles, but generally this idea of staying in character, I just find dulls your impulses and when it's time to really be activated and be present, uh, you're a little lazier and you're less, you burn less hot if you're trying to hold this thing uh, for the whole time you're on the set. Because it is quite an intense um, amount of concentration for this role because you are, I mean, I, I say there's not much dialogue, but there is a lot of attention, uh, more so, there's more attention paid to your facial expressions, your thoughts, uh, we're trying to guess what's going through your mind, even though it is coming across, and I'd like to know how, what is going through your mind in those scenes and how you can turn that on and off if you say you don't stay in character, because they're quite, it's quite intense. It's like all performing. I, I approach it like an athlete or like a dancer. It's really a series of actions and you apply yourself to that, those actions and you have those actions work, work on you. And with the added condition that you're trying to be this other person, um, I don't know, it's basically pretending. And how is it for you when you, you are literally shooting? Because you've done a lot of television, you've done very different types of, of material to this, where this is more of a, a quiet piece that's fairly deep. What was your approach to uh, working with actors as opposed to how you normally do? Um, look, you know, in, in the case of this particular script, um, most of what we learn about the characters are from actions we see them perform in the scenes. It's all very much in the present tense. You know, we don't delve into the background so much, but those backstories come across. Um, but really each scene was about focusing on the specific actions for the scenes, you know. A lot of the time when Willem's character was out in the wilderness alone, the objective was to set a trap. Try and, you know, the overall objective is to try and hunt down the last Tasmanian tiger. So we focus on the goals and I guess the thoughts, they, they play out, you know, you, you, you read them. Okay, cool. 
I'd like to throw it out to the audience. Um, if you put your hand up and someone will come around with a microphone for you. Hi, um, I was wondering, as both the actor and the director of the films, um, how did you manage to get Bushland to, like, how did you use Bushland as the way the actor turned into an... Because, like, what I saw in the trailer was that he had a descent into madness somewhat. How did both of you manage to display that type of descent throughout the film? Whilst using well, yeah. you know, initially it was about the choice of locations. You know, there is, you're right, there's a, there's a very clear journey across the course of the film. And it was really important that the particular landscapes reflected those emotions at each stage. So, um, you know, as I started, you know, before Willem even arrived in Australia, I was out there with the, my location manager and a scout and we'd look around at particular landscapes and I kind of get a feel, I thought, okay, you know, it was a matter of starting to match particular landscapes with particular scenes in the script. And um, it was kind of like doing a jigsaw puzzle, you know, eventually uh, I had a clear idea in my head of which scenes would play out in which area, what kind of weather we needed, you know, and that, like, you can't control that. You can only really hope and pray. But in this case, we were extraordinarily lucky. Um, we did get snow, like we got a blizzard on the one day we wanted snow, and you can't, you can't buy that kind of production value. Uh, yeah, uh, this question for Daniel. I was just wondering, as an Australian filmmaker, um, maybe what was kind of the journey for you, and like what advice would you have for making an Australian feature film? Because it does seem like quite difficult. Um, I, you know, I think... The critical thing is getting a script. Getting a script, you know, that, that you believe in strongly enough to kind of stand by it for 10 years or, you know, however long it normally takes. But, you know, I would say if you can find a script or you can find some material, whether it's a novel or a story in the newspaper, that is doing something different. You know, I mean, that's what we set out to do with this project was make a film that was not similar to some other films you might have seen already, but to really do something fresh. Uh, and that's certainly what kind of kept me inspired over, you know, the 10-year mammoth effort that it took to get the film made. It was an extraordinary amount of time, 10 years, to get a film made like that. Um, just want to interject, you were very much uh, wanting the cast to read the novel uh, as soon as possible so they get their heads around it. Um, but I understand that you didn't want to read it straight away and wanted to absorb the script first. Is that correct? Uh, that's correct. I mean, he didn't suggest one way or the other. In fact, I asked him, I, I said, should I read the novel you think? He said, nah, as you wish. Because really, we were dealing with, you know, the first step is to kind of figure out what we're trying to do. <laughs> and I, I didn't, while I want to honor the source, I trust that he'll do that. Because he's lived with this material for a long time. So it was most helpful to me initially just to help uh, get the screenplay to a place that we felt comfortable with. And then after the fact, I read uh, the novel just to, just to inspire me and also uh, know where the story that we made came from. But, that's, you know, sometimes uh, when a film is based on a, another source, 
sometimes you feel the need, sometimes you don't. In this case, I had plenty on my plate uh, to begin with. I didn't need more information. I needed less. I would add that it's, it's a beautiful novel and I yes. recommend it. You know, after you've seen the film though, like you see the film, then read the novel. But it's, a, it's an amazing work of Australian literature. Do you actually really like the thylacine? Yeah. <laughs> it's beautiful. The, the thylacine is the Tasmanian tiger. The question I was, you know, for Willem, does he really like it? And look, it's a beautiful creature and we got hold of some archival footage that was shot in a zoo in Hobart. Uh, in 19, 1930s. I mean, the last Tasmanian tiger died in this zoo in 1936, the last one in captivity. But when you look at the images, it's a beautiful creature. It's really unique. It's not like anything else we have now. Uh, and it's very sad, the, the footage. I've just got a question for William. Um, how do you find uh, working with an Australian crew compared to an American crew? You know, Culturally, we aren't that different, really. Uh, the language of filmmaking is pretty universal. Um, you know, it's just a different flavor, different, uh, just exactly what you'd think. But as far as the actual filmmaking, uh, the language is basically the same. The art of pretending, Willem. You say the word pretending quite a bit. It's embarrassing, but for me, uh, it really... Uh, expresses what I do. Well, it's, it brings it right down to its essence. Um, but extending your personality and allowing yourself to explore these uncharted waters, um, where, where did this film take you that you hadn't been before as an actor? Tasmania. <laughs> Besides that. Um, each film takes you a different place. You're in a different place in your life. But uh, it was... Um, you know, for me personally, it became something of a meditation about how we live our lives and how we, how available we make ourselves to other people. Um, this man starts out as a very disconnected, cut-off, misanthropic kind of guy. It's up to interpretation, but I always felt like people aren't born that way. Get, they get their way, that way because of some sort of pain. But at the, as the movie starts out, he's quietly in crisis and he has to go to another place. So that's something we can all relate to. Um, and particularly the idea that he's reached a certain age, that he's been around for a while and he's going to be put out to pasture. I, I'm not there yet, but it's uh, easy to imagine for anybody that's ever seen a gray hair on their head and went, oh, oh. And do you then, uh, with, with every role you play, and you, you now, there's a lot of balance within the roles, but there used to be a lot of bad guys, let's be honest. Um, except for Jesus, of course. You know what? I, and Platoon. No, no. If I, I don't expect you to know my filmography. I'll just tell you my experience, uh, as I experience. If you look at my filmography, there are very few flat-out bad guys. There are a lot of people that are marginal, marginalized people and outsiders, but they don't function as bad guys. There, there's a couple of existential uh, anti-heroes in there, you know, and, but 
I kind of reject the idea that I play bad guys. Okay. Well, what I was getting at is, is yep. let's say it's a, it's a Bobby Peru from Wild at Heart, for example. That's a bad guy. Or, um, <laughs> or Alf. Beautifully, without apology, a bad guy. He's so bad, he's good. <laughs> yeah. But you, uh, am I then to assume that even when he is, you, you're looking for something that triggered him to be bad? As, as no, a no, backstory? It's, it's we don't there. Care. Bobby Peru's there. You know, uh, he's, uh, you know he, he's something that uh, happens that I'm a part of. It, it, he's like a force of nature. It's a convergence of people making this thing, and I'm just part of it. So I don't... Uh, Bobby Peru drags me into the story. I don't drag him. Gotcha. For those unaware, that's wild at heart. Bobby Peru has got a, an uncanny smile. Um, more questions? One there? Uh, this is just one for um, William. Um, when it comes to looking at scripts, obviously you look at a point of difference. Because, I mean, how many people here would have scripts for him to act in? And we would all put our hands up. So um, what do you look, like, look for as a point of difference to make the decisions to act in somebody's film? Scripts are kind of secondary to the people and uh, kind of what the, uh, what the intention of the project is, I'd say. Scripts are important. When you have a great script, it's, it's, it's good. But I, I really look to people more than scripts. And, uh, yeah, a script is a piece of literature. Uh, people make movies. As far as characters go with the choices that you're making, I mean, you've played such a wide variety, like I say, from, you know, supposedly the Son of God through to the Green Goblin. I mean, that's a, that's a spectrum right there. Um, but in doing that, you do get to, to live out many different ways of disappearing. Um, where have you yet to disappear to that you might know of? And you're going, you know what, I wouldn't mind doing that type of thing. You know, it's funny. It's true. I, I, one of the pleasures of being a performer is, you know, you pray to disappear, to uh, go someplace else, forget about yourself, uh, you know, join some other, <laughs> something outside of you in another form. I'm talking like uh, Shirley MacLaine or something right now. <laughs> You know, it's taking a walk in somebody else's shoes. It's a shift of, uh, you know, how you think. You look for those opportunities. I don't know. I, it's funny. It, you can't design those things. It's like if you, if you take a trip, if you plan a trip, if you, want, if you know too clearly what you want out of that trip, out of the experience of, let's say, you want to go to Hong Kong. If you're too clear about what you have to get and you fixate on bringing this souvenir back or seeing this site, or sometimes you may miss the whole point. So that's kind of putting the... It's a good question, but it's putting the cart before the horse. I think I just try to put myself in situations that seem fertile to find that place that I like being, and that place is um, where I have a shift of how I think. And I, I, I take it on a different perspective because of this activity of willing to consider another person's situation. In saying that, have you been in a situation where you might have gone, I think I'm a little bit uh, out of my depth? Yes. 
Yes. Well, you know, uh, yeah, sure, sure. There's degrees of um, proficiency in everything. There's some, well, there's some things that I've done in the past that I look back on and I say, wow, I was really too young. I could, I would like to do that over again with what I know now, which is kind of a crazy idea, but I do feel that sometimes. But you try not to think about that. It's gone. Make room for the next thing. And yourself, was there any points during the production of this film where, because it, it's, it, it's a simple story, but there's so much depth and there's so much, I would think as a filmmaker, pressure to get that environment right, otherwise you're not getting inside the audience's head the way that you need to, besides the weather. But were there points, or was it just like, you know what, this steamrolled along and it went exactly how I wanted it to go? Um, look, I think we, we started off at an advantage because the elements of the film are relatively contained. You know, there's a, a very small cast, uh, a very small amount of locations, um, uh, and we were a very tight, mobile unit. So we set out to do something that was achievable rather than something that was kind of like, you know, let's just try and hope we get it. And we did put a lot of very careful planning into it. So in the end, you know, the, the, the greatest unknown factor was the weather. The weather decided to be our friend. Um, we had a, a good schedule. Um, it was kind of like, you know, despite the, 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 the wild terrains you see in the film, it did stay pretty calm and pretty ordered, and there wasn't really any sense of loss of control, which was great. And it's how I like a set to be, you know? I think everybody going about their work in a kind of quiet, orderly fashion, you know, dealing with the, with the challenges that get put up against us, but not going into panic mode at all. Okay, cool. Question over there. Hi. Um, this is a question for Ian. Um, you were talking about Spider-Man. Um, Toby Maguire is yeah, <laughs> uh, a green goblin. I loved your role in that film. Um, Toby Maguire is here shooting in Sydney right now. So um, are you hoping to catch up with him? And, yeah, you, you know, I didn't even know that. <laughs> I, I, I'd be happy to see him. I like Toby, but uh, we're doing uh, a lot of press and... I, pr I probably won't catch him. We're off to Melbourne tomorrow. But if you see him, <laughs> say hi. You give him a kiss for me. <laughs> um, they said that it took eight years. What kept you going through the process? You seem pretty passionate about the animal itself, but what kept you moving forward during the hard times? Uh, look, fortunately, I was doing a lot of other things over that, those eight years. I was working in a lot of television, um, you know, I was, I was paying the bills, I was keeping myself inspired, uh, and the project was always bubbling along. You know, I'd work on it in the evenings or, or on weekends. Um, there was always a draft being written at one stage or another. Uh, and I guess what kept us going was just the constant kind of desire to get it right and make it better. And, um, but we, we, you know, we were, the producer and I were both fortunate that we didn't need to rush into it. You know, we didn't want, actually want to make it until it was as good as, you know, the script was as good as we thought it could be. That's a, the second part to that is I was wondering why it took eight years, but you just answered you weren't in a rush, so you were trying to get this right. Um, even still, uh, I'm imagining that 
the minute somebody of Willem's uh, calibre and standing within, you know, an acting fraternity, as well as a box office fraternity, because it is a business, it's show business. But it's, it's true, to have an Australian film with you in it, as opposed to some dude that lives down the road from me, is a big, big difference. Um, that would have made everything go like a roller coaster, am I correct, as soon as Willem says he's on board? Look, you know, that, that helped in a big way. Um, it, it wasn't at all cynical casting. I mean, it was very organic to the material that this character was an outsider, was someone from far away. Um, so it was perfectly logical, you know, to get a non-Australian actor. Uh, but it's true that when we were trying to finance the film, you know, when the, when the script was at a pretty good stage, people were reading it going, okay, great, I can see the potential here, but the recurring question was, who's gonna play this character, Martin the Hunter? You know, he's in almost every scene. We need to know who he is. So as soon as we could go back and say, well, Willem Dafoe is playing the Hunter, then people had a, could picture what the movie was. You know, it, it helped a lot. And, and certainly, um, it, it probably it was a 12-month period between when I met with Willem in New York and when we were in Tasmania shooting, you know, the first day's material. And that was probably like a, a year ago, you know, this week. Wow. So, so two, two years from like meeting with Willem to debuting the, the film in cinemas. And you must get a hell of a lot of scripts, Willem, that, that come your way, or at least ideas, pitches, whatever, ranging in scale, ranging in budget. Um, do you find, by the choice you make now, it will influence the scripts that come to you tomorrow? Yes. And also, also the projects I'm interested in. You know, you're always, I, I'm always re reacting off the last thing I did because it's just like food, you know? <laughs> you like a little variety. If you do one kind of thing, there's a tendency to want to exercise different muscles or, or work in a different way. Uh, so in the case of The Hunter, I really had an appetite for something like this. So I was kind of, when it came to me, I thought, wow, this is really what I've, I've been looking to do next. Right. And then you went straight on to John Carter, would that be right? Or? Uh, I think I did some other things as well, because John right. Carter was a very long shoot because it's a very um, technically complex movie. How do you turn off a character and turn on another? Yeah, they shut down the camera and the crew goes <laughs> away. <laughs> no, I mean, really. If a, if a character is supported by a situation and a configuration of people, and a, a group of ideas and a scenario, you take those things away and you're a crazy person to hang on. It kind of, if that is in fact you, it kind of goes back with inside you and uh, then you make room for the next way to apply yourself. Huh. I, I don't see what would sustain you to hold on. Well, I, I don't know. I'm not an actor. Um, but I, I, but I, you are. <laughs> but I'm, I'm just really interested in, in, in that process. And also interested in the process of, I mean, you do this, this is your job. You do yep. this every day. But you walk onto a set, you must get nerves like anybody else. I do. Um, uh, I, I'm, and I'm happy for that because uh, it shows that I'm not dead. And it shows that I'm not uh, cynical. I'm always nervous. Because every time I... 
you know, I don't know, I made quite a few movies, and every time when I started, I asked myself, and I'm happy for this, I'm sort of bragging here, I think, how do I do this? How do you do this? It's not like I have a system. Each time you have to reinvent your way of doing it, and I'm always happiest when I'm a little scared and I'm a little not knowing, because it's from that not knowing that you get a kind of uh, passion and curiosity. If you know what needs to be done, there's, then there's just the doing. There's a pleasure to that, but then, I don't know, it gets into kind of a, a, a kind of narcissism or careerism, or then you're strictly uh, an entertainer making a product, and I'm interested in another aspect, and that is, uh, besides being an entertainer, making things, being an artist, um, challenging myself. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm always a little nervous. Once you get comfortable, once you find out the things that give you confidence, or once you just get in motion and you're so engaged that you don't stand outside of it and you don't get self-conscious about it, then, then you're good to go. But always, first day I hate, because it's always... You're, you've got no assurance. I have to ask this question because not very often that I get the chance to talk to Willem Dafoe. Um, at what point you can did call you? Me <laughs> at what? Cheers. At what point did you feel comfortable playing Jesus? Um, never and immediately, because that particular story was really about a guy that is given this role and he doesn't want to accept it. That was, the, that was the story, and it was a very reactive role. So it was really about the preparation for that role was to cleanse myself of any expectation uh, and to really try to push it away. So it was interesting. Wow. And you'd, you'd want to turn that one off afterwards, wouldn't you? You wouldn't want to walk around, hey, I'm the son of God, dude. Um, one question. But just time for two more questions, thanks. Uh, yeah, Daniel, you mentioned uh, like getting funding for this uh, film. Uh, say you've got like this really refined, great script, and even maybe some like great actors on board. What then? Like, where where to with that great script and everything? Um, look, we're really lucky in Australia that that you can get government funding. Um, there's a lot of kind of incentives now to for producers to make films in this country. I mean. I think you really, you've got to find a producer, that's the critical thing, you know. I wouldn't know how to do the work of the producer of this film, but we worked creatively together for years and at a certain point he took that script and went into business mode, found people to finance it. Um, uh, I mean, we, we had gra development grants from the government during the writing of it, which forms part of the overall budget, but, you know, I think really an experienced producer is the trick, the, it's essential. I, I just want to add, like, uh, we've been doing a lot of press and I'm always talking about Daniel this, Daniel that, but Vincent Sheehan, the producer, was very important also as I was, as this project was proposed to me, partly because uh, I, I had seen Animal Kingdom um, and uh, that, that gave me some assurances that Daniel would be backed up with someone that knew what they were doing. 
A producer is very important. You can have the greatest, uh, you know, team behind the camera, but if uh, they aren't protected and if they don't get what they need, it's not going to happen. And last question from over there. Hi, my name is Lulu. Um, my question is for both of you. Like, Hollywood has a big influence to us, aside from Apple. So from what you're doing, from your perspective, where do you want to lead us, I mean, to lead the people? You know, I struggle with this because now that there's all different kinds of delivery systems and people are seeing films in different ways, call me old-fashioned. But I like people going to a dark room with strangers and watching some light on the screen and having to deal with it together rather than someone controlling a situation at home when they get impatient, turning the thing off, making some phone calls, checking their emails, coming back, watching another scene. You know, because you need the discipline sometimes to stick with something, to appreciate it. That's one thing. And, and it's, that's easier to do in a movie theater. And second of all, I like the social context. It creates a, a discourse, even if it's walking out and saying, that really sucked, you know, to the guy next to you. Something, something happening, something, you know, as uh, technology is great and it does a lot of things for us, but it also can give us the illusion of freedom and we start to control things too much. So for me, as someone that makes films, I, I, I hope theaters stay alive. You know, uh, exhibition of movies in public spaces stays alive. I think it's really socially important. I may interpret that and say that the idea is to make sure that people enjoy other people's art to the, to, to the maximum potential of what the art was supposed to do, i.e., this is a movie, see it in the cinema with other people and experience it together, and then decide afterwards, which you guys should do with The Hunter next week when it's released. Will you please thank the star and director of The Hunter, Mr. Willem Dafoe and Mr. Daniel Netheim. Thank you so much for your time. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks very much.